glad that you're worshiping with us. Just a couple of things to call to your attention. I uh, had a chance to talk to uh, Karen McFadden uh, yesterday on the phone. Karen's doing well. Uh, she's uh, heavily medicated on, uh, you know, pain medicine, so she's getting rest, and she'll be coming back, Lord willing, to, to do some rehab uh, here in the area. She'll have to go to a, a rehab facility um, here in the area, and uh, supposedly it's not going to be too intense, but just continue to pray for her uh, and pray that she will be have a full and speedy recovery without any complications. I guess that's what I'm asking people to pray for. So she's been very encouraged by uh, what she's hearing from the doctors, and it's exciting to, to know what's going on. Uh, I'd like you to bow with me, if you would, and we'll pray as we get ready to spend some time worshiping the Lord and His Word. Father, thank you for uh, your grace and mercy. I thank you for uh, the, the joy of being able to uh, witness uh, young people who are using their gifts and abilities to serve you. And I pray that you would help us, Father, as we enter this new year to honor you in what we do and say. I pray that you would guide our time in your word this morning. Lord, I uh, need you to, to work in me. I know that each of us do. We pray that your spirit would be at work to teach us what you want to teach us. But more than teaching us, Lord, that you would transform us by the power of your Spirit uh, through the working of your Word in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, okay, just to get this out of the way, yes, I was supposed to be here last Sunday. I wasn't here last Sunday because I got a notification about uh, two or three hours before my flight left that my flight had been canceled. And there was no explanation as to why my flight had been canceled, but it was just canceled. And so I, not being the, the ultra-techie ultra person I am not, I was able, by God's grace, to uh, rebook my flight for the next available flight with that airline, which was coming home Monday night uh, at the same time. So I arrived Monday night at about 10.30 here in Des Moines, uh, airport and I decided not to try to it was really comical actually the, the the notification was your flight's been canceled and guess what we're not going to charge you any money if you rebook it uh, I'm thinking seriously you actually wrote that you canceled my flight and you're saying you're not going to charge me any money to rebook it on your airline but but if you want to you can go try to find another flight on another airline which I'm sure that would be really cheap you know at the last moment trying to get home uh, from where I was in Arizona, see it with my folks. So anyhow, and, and there were news notifications all over about how they'd been canceling flights all over the place. So, uh, and so I said, not going there. So basically, I was at the mercy of, of God, and I resigned to it, and by God's grace, on and stepped up, and uh, you know, that was great. So I'm grateful for it. I was able to watch online, and, and that was a, a great time. So uh, that's, that's the way that was. Um, right now, uh, I have a story about another vacation. Marla and I were headed out for vacation one time. This has been several years ago, but as we were headed for vacation, we were at the airport, actually the Des Moines International Airport, if I recall right, but I might not remember right, but we were, we were there, and we just saw a person that we knew, and this person was like, oh yeah, they're going to, you know, we just, when you see somebody in the airport, we lived in northwest Iowa, so it wasn't that common to see somebody in the airport. You live here, it's probably not uncommon for you to see somebody at the airport, and they said, yeah, we're headed out, uh, you know, just getting ready to go. And we said, well, we had this trip planned. No, no, it's just for the moment. Uh, but we have a, I have a bag packed just in case, you know, whenever we need to leave. And I'm going, 
Seriously. So here's a person, in, in light of the, the theme for this morning's, the title of this morning's message, this person was living ready, living ready to leave, uh, you know, living, living ready to, to leave on vacation. And we've been in the book of Matthew, and in Matthew chapter 24, uh, verses 32 through 51, which is the passage we're going to look at this morning, the text moves us from the description of Jesus' return, which we've been talking about in Matthew chapter 24 up to this point, to a discussion of living ready for it to happen. You know, not, not, not necessarily a description about what it is, but now how, how do we live in light of the fact that it's happened. We've been alerted to the signs and the certainty that Jesus is coming back, and now Jesus moves us into a discussion of, okay, what are you going to do with all that? And his admonition to us is, I think, summarized in those two words, live ready. And so if you have your Bibles, you open it up to Matthew chapter 24, or your phone or your device or whatever, and if you're here and you don't have one, there should be one under the seat in front of you, or if you're at home listening online, if you would get out your Bible and follow along with us we're going to look at Matthew chapter 24 I'm going to read the text verses 32 through 51 and there are three ways in this text that Jesus challenges and equips us to live ready in light of his certain sure return Matthew chapter 24 beginning with verse 32 now learn the parable of the fig tree when its branches branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves you know that summer is near Even so, you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But at that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah, for as in those days which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and they were marrying and giving in marriage until that day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. And so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And then then there shall be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you ought to be ready too, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes." Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, My master is not coming for a long time and shall begin to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour, and at an hour which he does not know and shall cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. Weeping shall be there and gnashing of teeth. Well, Jesus lays out for us not the description now, but the discussion of what we should do in light of the fact that he's coming. And the first way that he challenges, I think, in the text is that he he says you need to recognize the nearness 
of, of, of my return, the nearness of the Lord's return. And there are two steps that Jesus asks us to take that emphasize the nearness and the certainty of his return. First of all, uh, read the signs. Uh, look at the signs that I've laid out for you here in verses 4 through 28. And when he says learn, he's stressing that we don't just understand, but that we recognize the, accept the truthfulness of it, and then act on it. Uh, several years ago, my mother was diagnosed with high cholesterol, okay? And so my mom, uh, being my mom, she took it upon herself, so she changed her diet, she began to exercise regularly, and she drastically reduced her cholesterol level, the bad cholesterol level, without any medication. She learned what the doctor said. In other words, she accepted the, the truthfulness of it and the certainty of what he had said, and she changed her life. This is what Jesus is calling us to do. The fig tree in the text serves as a parable, a parable that alerts us to when this time would be near, okay? And the growth of the fig tree, the new tender branches, and the, the blossoms, those simply indicate that it's, it's going to happen. It indicates spring. Spring's going to happen. Just like around here, I don't know, if you have a lilac bush in your house, you know, we used to have one in the house we lived in. When the, when the blossoms of the lilac come out, you know, and you smell those wonderful blossoms, you know that summer is near. <laughs> it's not summer, uh, but, but it's coming, or it's close. In the same way, uh, the parable talks to us. And then the parable's explained. It, it, you know, it's explained in verse 33. He says, even so, you too, when you see all these things, meaning what? What things? When you see the signs that he's talked about in verses 4 through 28. When you see these things, then you know that, that the time is, is near, right at the door. So we're supposed to read the signs. And then we're supposed to rely on the promises. And it says verse 34. And there are two statements that he gives that affirm the reliability of his promise that he's going to return. The first one is given to us here in verse 34. Truly, I say to you. Truly means take it to the bank. It's going to happen. And when you see a few times in the scripture, it says truly, truly, it's like a, you know piled on top of each other. This is certain. It's going to happen. It's guaranteed. All these things will take place in this generation. All these things what? All the signs. The signs that he's given to us, beginning in verse 4, refers to the preliminary signs of his return and not to the return itself. So he's not saying that when these, he says, this generation will be alive during the manifestation of these signs, but not necessarily during my return. Okay? So it's not the return itself. So seeing the signs, seeing the persecution that would take place. Seeing the devastation of natural disasters that take place. Seeing the opposition to the gospel that's taking place. For example, you just think about it. Uh, Canada recently passed a law about uh, uh, outlawing conversion therapy. Okay, What does that mean? It basically means that if I was to stand in the pulpit and say what I'm about to say, that the Bible teaches that marriage is between one man and one woman and that there are two sexes, male and female, as decreed by the, the, God, the Word of God and that I would say that anybody who deviates from that is 
contrary to the Word of God. And that they should be seeking to align themselves in accordance with God's Word and what God's Word teaches. I could be thrown in jail. And Great Britain is contemplating passing the same kind of law. So to see, is that a sign that the Lord will return? Well, yeah, in a sense, it's a sign. It's an opposition to the gospel. It's not mean that just because that law is passed, Jesus is coming now. But it's a sign. So these preliminary signs are given. And this generation refers to Jesus' contemporaries. Okay. And they witnessed the signs in verses 4 through 14. Because those signs are general, non-specific signs that take place. They describe what happens between the comings of Jesus. Verses 4 through 14 describe what happens between the comings of Jesus, uh, the first coming and the second coming. And so all that verse 34 requires is that the troubles of verses 4 through 28, including the fall of Jerusalem, we talked about that in verses 15 through 29, that, it, that it, the fall of Jerusalem was part and parcel of that as a preliminary sign, as an indication, but it wasn't the final and full thing. It was the um, kind of the characteristic it was is this hyperbolic statement describing the fall of Jerusalem which hadn't happened yet when Jesus is speaking it's a hyperbolic statement but the full and final fulfillment of it is yet to come so it, it happened the fall of Jerusalem 70 AD was prophetic at the time of Jesus would happen during the lifetime of this generation but the ultimate fulfillment of it I don't believe has happened yet it's that which comes just before the kingdom is consummated so Christ wouldn't return until all the events take place. And when Jesus is, and for us, in an immediate sense, all those things have taken place at some level, at some point. But the ultimate and final fulfillment, I don't think, has, has happened yet. It's, it's coming. It's coming. So there is this truly, truly, and then there is, Jesus says, my word shall, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Well, you can count on it, okay? His word is going to happen. It's never going to pass away. A lot of people are trying to say, what's going to happen in the housing market? What's going to happen in the stock market? What's going to happen in the commodities market? Everybody's speculating. They don't know. Jesus says, you can take what I say to the bank. I know, I know. And so Jesus calls upon us to recognize the nearness of his return. And then the second thing that he does is he lays out for us to realize the suddenness of our Lord's return in verses 36 through 41. So he's talked about the certainty. He's talked about the, the nearness of the Lord. With that fresh in their minds, then we're ringing in their ears. He, he reminds the disciples, uh, there's still a mystery about all this. We have all throughout history people who are telling us when it's going to happen. And Jesus kind of like uh, puts the brakes on all that and says, look, we know it's going to happen. And we know it's not very far off, or it doesn't seem like it's very far off, but there's some mystery here. And so two facts about the Lord's return emphasize it's sudden, but we need to be alert, and there's still this mystery about it. We really don't know. First of all, the timing is unknown. Look at verse 36. But of that day and hour, the Lord's return, no one knows. Not the angels in heaven. Not the Son, the Son of God, but the Father only, all right? The Father only. No human being knows. 
So any human being who says they know doesn't know. The first year that I was in uh, full-time vocational ministry, I received a bunch of information. September 10th, 1988 was the day Jesus was coming back. I got all kinds of literature. I got uh, you know, emails. I got uh, mail, snail mail. I got it. It was plastered all over. This was the day. And guess what? You know. No, it didn't happen. No one knows. Anybody who says they know makes Jesus out to be a liar. Anybody who says they know makes Jesus out to be a liar. You know, Mark 13, 32, Matthew 24, 36. No one knows. No human being knows. No angel knows. Now, guess angels. Angels who attend the throne of God. Angels who are part and parcel of the Lord's return. Matthew 13, Matthew 16. They're going to be a part of it. They don't know. And then, the, probably the hardest thing for us to grasp, at least for me, Jesus doesn't know. Well, think about that. So what does Jesus not know? So does that mean that Jesus is somehow compromised in his omniscience? No. Jesus, in coming to earth as a human being, laid aside the full exercise of all his powers of deity to accommodate his humanity. Okay? So in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, uh, it says, let this mind, this attitude be in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking upon himself the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of man, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. So in his humility, and his humbling himself, he laid aside the full exercise of all his divine powers. That's my understanding of it. So he didn't know, but the Father knows. The Father alone knows when the Son will return to gather his elect and to, and to consummate his kingdom. And so despite the signs indicating the nearness, I don't know, you know, have you not heard people saying, oh, you know, just look around you. I mean, the Lord's coming back. It can't be long. It can't be far off. I mean, Christians are talking this way, and not necessarily unrightfully so. I mean, that's okay. But when they start pinpointing the date, then, then we look out. So we don't know. There's mystery around it. So we don't know the timing. And the second thing is, the timing is unexpected. In verses 37 through 39, Jesus emphasized the sudden unexpected nature of his return. First of all, with an illustration. of Noah, in the days of Noah. It'll be just like in the days of Noah, you know, just like in the days of Noah, the attitude of the people prior to the, the flood, the worldwide flood, uh, you know, is the same, is a warning. It should be a warning to all of us waiting for Christ's return and to all of us not waiting for Christ's return. You get that? So there's a warning here for all waiting for Christ's return. There's a warning for all not waiting for Christ's return. And, uh, Side note here, Jesus is validating the reality of the flood. So there's that. He's acknowledging that the flood did take place 
and that there was a flood, a worldwide flood in the days, uh, the days of Noah. And so before, it says, just like that day, Christ's return will be just like the coming of the flood in the days of Noah, in the sense that before the flood, people were carrying on their daily activities. They were buying and selling, marrying and giving in marriage. And then all of a sudden, the, the, flood, the flood came. They had ignored the preaching of Noah. They had ignored the point of the ark. In fact, they were making fun of the guy. Probably had never been rain on the earth, and he's building this big box boat, you know, oblong boat, and they laughed at him. They ignored it. But he entered the ark, and then they did not, the text here says, they did not understand, verse 13, and they did not understand until the flood didn't understand what? They're doomed. And he says, in the same way, you know, business as usual, but in the same way, the as it caught them off guard and took them away, so it will be when the Lord comes. Those people who are ignoring the Lord, those people who are indifferent to their own sin, those people who ignore the Bible truth, those people who don't understand that they're living in rebellion against God and happy to be in rebellion against God will be caught off guard and swept away. So shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. I'm guessing, I don't know, where some, some of you may not even have been alive on September 11th, 2001. But I remember uh, sitting in my living room and watching the second airplane fly, in, the airplane fly into the second tower. Suddenly, unexpectedly, nobody had a clue, or at least we don't know that they had a clue, that this was coming. Boom. In the same way, the Son of Man will come without an inkling. Then there's the application. He gives this illustration, then he makes the application. And the connection is, he uses two more illustrations of the suddenness of this return and how it should be understood and makes it clear of the finality of it and the certainty of the sobriety of the fact that he's coming will bring judgment. And he says, okay, there's two people, uh, two guys. They're out in the field. One's taken, the other's left. And there's two women they're grinding, uh, grinding corn or flour or whatever to make flour. One's taken and one's left. He uses these illustrations. So he says it's sudden and unexpected. Just as unexpectedly the people in Noah's day, some were taken away into judgment and some were in the ark and rescued. In the same way, the, the coming of the Son of Man will be and some will be taken away. Now, there's debate as to who's taken away and who stays, okay? Okay. <laughs> uh. If, if those who are taken away are the righteous, then we're talking about, in my understanding of the end times, the 144,000 Jews, the believers who come to faith in Christ during the tribulation period, at, by the witness of the 144,000 Jews, and all those who come to faith in Christ because of angelic witness or some other way that, that the Lord got a hold of their heart. They're taken away. And the rest are left for judgment. But it could be the other way around. It could be that the people who are taken away are taken away to judgment. And the people left are those who are the ones who are with the Lord. It doesn't really matter. Okay? Because the, the, the end result is, the point is, that the people doing the same tasks are separated. Some to judgment and some to glory. Those who are living in rebellion, not looking for the coming of the Lord... Boom, judgment. Those who are expectant and in right relationship with God, they're going to be rescued and taken to be with the Lord. And so Jesus deliberately commingles the certainty of the coming and the mystery of the coming 
of his return to stress two things, the permanence of the judgment, and then to stir up people to expect his return so they live in light of his coming. We're to recognize the nearness, we're to realize the suddenness, and finally, in the text, we're to ready ourselves for the Lord's return. Verses 42 through 51, there are two techniques that Jesus uses to emphasize the need for living ready for the Lord's return. First of all, there's an admonition. Verse 42, therefore, and again, I've said this before, I'll say it again. When you see the word therefore, you need to ask what it's there for. Okay, It points back and it points ahead. It points us back and ahead. In light of the fact that Jesus' return is certain and unpredictable, be on the alert. You know, Three times in these few verses, he says, be, on, be ready, be ready, be ready. Be ready, be ready, be ready. I think he wants us to be ready. Okay, It's not rocket science, just be ready. And the question I have is, are we living ready? Are we living ready? for the Lord's return. By God's grace, God has blessed my wife and I with three children. And during the pregnancies of each of these three children, when it came to the point where Marla was close to giving birth, we were living ready. I was living ready. I didn't make any plans to travel a distance away from home. I made sure that uh, I was, uh, I, I, did, I didn't stop living, but I made plans. I wasn't traveling far from home. I made sure I was checking in on my wife to see how she was doing on a regular basis. I kept my phone uh, near me, except I think when the first one was born, we didn't have a phone ready. Uh, you know, we didn't have cell phones, so I, I was kept near the phone, okay? A landline, yeah, there is a, such a thing, uh, a landline. I kept near the landline. We, I was living ready in anticipation of, of the birth of our children. And Jesus commands his followers to live ready, both in our attitudes and in our actions. And he gives an illustration to drive home the point, verse 43. If you knew the hour in which the burglars were coming to rob you, you would be prepared. If I had known the night in which people who came and cut the catalytic converter off of our van that was parked outside of our home were coming, I would have been ready. But they didn't tell me. And so I wasn't ready. And they took it. Okay? This is what Jesus says. We need to, to live ready. And he, the point of the illustration is, given, is repeated in verse 44. For this reason, you be ready Two. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not know He will. At a time that is, His coming is unpredictable and it's unexpected. So act like you should if you don't know. It's like, it's like this when you're a kid at home and your parents are gone. And they say they're going to be gone, but you don't know how long they're going to be gone. Well, then you say, well, you're not, you know, there's a pan of brownies there. You're not supposed to eat the brownies because they're going to be taken to some other deal. And you say, oh, yeah, those brownies look really good. And there's some ice cream in the fridge. And I, you know, brownies and ice cream is really good. So I'm going to get into the brownies and ice cream. But you don't know when your mom and dad, and then all of a sudden, guess what? The door opens. Whoops. You know, you know the expression, caught with your hand in the cookie jar. Well, this is the deal. Jesus says, I'm coming back. You don't know when, so get ready. 
And to be ready requires a couple of things. First of all, to be ready means you might be in right relationship with God. In order to be ready for Jesus' return, we must first of all be in a right relationship with God through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, it'd really be stupid for somebody to say, I'm living ready, but not have a right relationship with God, because if you're not ready in a right relationship with God and Jesus returns, then guess what? It's not good news for you. It's only judgment. And secondly, how can you live faith? We can't live faithfully in light of His coming apart from a relationship with God. Uh, the, the Scripture says... Uh, John chapter 5, uh, verse, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come in condemnation, but is passed from death to life. So the question I would ask is, do you believe in Jesus? Are you trusting in his death as the payment for your sin? And therefore, in a right relationship with God so that you have passed from death to life. Notice, I've, I've asked people this question. So is eternal life Something that is an add-on at the end of your life? Read verse five, chapter 5, verse 24. He who believes in Him has everlasting life. When? When we believe. It's now. It's not a tack-on. It's not an add-on. It's right now. Has everlasting has And has passed from death into life. And this is the message. Apart from faith in Jesus Christ, we cannot enter into it. The sudden and sure nature of Jesus' return demands that his disciples, those who follow him, it demands those who don't follow him to be ready or to get ready. It demands of those who are his disciples to live ready. Okay, to, be, to live ready. And what's the motivation for living ready? Well, in verses 45 through 51, um, Jesus, you know, talk about illustrations. You read through this passage of Scripture, and every time you turn around, Jesus is given an illustration. And so here he has an illustration of two different kinds of slaves, and there are different approaches to being ready. And so there's this motivation that comes to us from a positive standpoint. And this is the, the, the slave who is, um, he's, he's a guy who's sensible and he's faithful, okay? He's a sensible and faithful slave. There's positive incentive in this faithful and sensitive slave. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his faster, master put in charge of his household? It's his conduct. It serves as an expectation as well as an instruction. This is what he expects of us. This is how he instructs us to be sensible and faithful slaves in light of the Lord's return. The disciples who live ready are what? Obedient. Faithful obedience. That's all he asks us. Faithfully obedient to what God has called us to be. That's what he's asking. That's what he's pointing out. This faithful slave was just doing his job. Doing his job. Somebody once said, uh, you know, that the faithful slave. And what happens to the faithful slave? It says in verse uh, 47, it says, Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. That's a big charge. That's a blessing. That the faithful slave, those of us who are faithful, God will put us in charge. Somebody once said that the, the greatest test of who we are is how we act when no one's looking. How do we behave when no one's looking? Because the Lord's still looking. The Lord's, Lord still sees. We're to live each day as if this could be the day. Now, when I say that, uh, if in my understanding of, of the end times, this could be the day in which the Lord catches His church to be up with Him to avoid the tribulation. But it could be that 
uh, if I'm wrong or if uh, we're gone and, and, and later on down the road, those who are here at the end of the age, this could be the day. See, the Bible is interesting in Titus chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age, looking for that glorious hope, that great hope and the glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself up for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, that he might perfect or produce a, a people for his own possession, zealous for good works, to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the glorious appearance and great uh, and, uh, salvation, the, the appearance of our, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're supposed to look for it. So I ask you, myself, am I living soberly? Am I living righteously? Am I living godly in, in, in this, this present age? Jonathan Edwards resolved, he had these resolutions that he would look to each week, and he says, resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the, the last hour of my life. And one of his other resolutions, if this were the hour in which Jesus came. Never to do anything. So here's, here's, here's what I ask myself. I ask you, am I, am I loving? Am I loving or neglecting my spouse if I'm married? Am I loving or abusing my siblings? Am I honoring or dishonoring my parents? Am I sharing the gospel as Anand challenged us to do? last week or am I silent about the gospel one of the fruits of my delayed departure was an opportunity to share Christ with a couple of my parents neighbors and if that's the only reason or I don't ever know for sure the reason that's good enough okay am, am I serving others or just serving myself am I resisting sin or reveling in it these are the things that we should ask ourselves. Then there's a negative incentive. And this is the sinful and fickle slave. You have the sensible and faithful slave. Then the antithesis of that, the opposite of that, is you have this sinful and fickle slave. Yeah, the master's gone. Hey, let's party. Uh, let's have good time, self-indulgence. And, uh, you know, and then the text says, oh, yeah, okay. You're going to have that attitude? Guess what? He shows up right when you didn't think he was going to show up. He assumes his master's delay uh, was a license to live self-indulgently. And he's punished severely. When the master comes, it says, on that day when he does not expect him in an hour in which he does not know, and the rebellious and self-indulgent uh, people of the world who ignore, ignore biblical truth, who deny the reality that, that Jesus is coming back, that imminent judgment, they're going to be punished harshly. According to the Bible. You don't have to believe the Bible, but the Bible says they're going to be punished severely on the day which they don't expect. And listen what it says. It's, he's, he cuts them in pieces and scourging and assigns them a place with 
hypocrites, weeping shall be there and gnashing of teeth. This is eternal torment. Heaven and hell's at stake. Describes divine torture. And these are people in Jesus' day, some of them were pretending. So it doesn't really matter if you have the veneer of spirituality. You know, oh, I'm outward on the outward, I look like a Christian, but I'm not really living for Jesus. I'm not really, my profession is one thing, but my possession is another. I profess Christ, but I don't possess Christ because I'm living like the devil, but I'm acting like I'm a saint. Oh, weeping shall be there and gnashing of teeth. And so this is a, is a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call for those who are pretending to be followers of Christ. It's a wake-up call for those who are rejecting Jesus. Because this, this same Jesus is the one who said, I will die and rise the third day. And guess what he did? He died and he rose the third day. So what makes us think that he's any less likely to fulfill the promises he's made here? I think he's proven himself. It's a wake-up call. Decadence is a damnable offense, even for those with the veneer of spirituality. Living in rebellion against God is something that will condemn us to hell. So the call is, repent and trust in Jesus because He's coming. He's coming back. Living ready means two things. Being ready believing in Christ as I said Christ promised that he'd rise from the dead he did so to think that he won't fulfill this promise is is to live in delusion or just to be kind of dull or dumb and not think that he will fulfill this one and so my caution to you is to to trust in Christ before it's too late and Jesus said come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He offers us peace with God. We talked about this in the first service. We're at enmity with God because of our sin, but thanks be to God. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We're no longer His enemies. And I want you to be an enemy. I don't want anybody to be an enemy. And so we need to share the gospel. And I share it with you this morning. And I, I challenge you to put your faith and your trust in Jesus if you haven't already. Because he's coming. And when he comes, it won't be pretty. It also requires behaving like Jesus. Believing in Jesus and behaving like Jesus. We're supposed to live ready. We're supposed to be calmly conscious. I, I stress that. Calmly conscious of the signs that are un unraveling before us, okay, being revealed before us. Not, not consumed by, you know, it's going to be here, it's going to be there, it's going to be here, it's going to be there. Oh, look at that. That's a, that for sure it's going to happen. No, not consumed by that stuff. An unhealthy preoccupation with somebody who claims definitively they know when and where Jesus will come back. But we don't stick our head in the sand and deny the fact that the signs are all around us. They're happening. We also need conviction. And this is where you can pray for me, and I can pray for you. Conviction. Conviction that our hearts aflame, that we would have a passion to live in faithful obedience. Faithful obedience. As if the Lord could come back at any moment, either to take those who know 
him to be with him in the Lord, caught up to be with him in the air in the rapture, or at the end of the age before he consummates his kingdom. That we're ready to live. Live in faithful obedience. The certainty he's coming and the mystery, we don't know when, should do a couple of things, I think, in our hearts. They should keep us busy investing in the kingdom. Okay? The fact that he's coming, and we don't know when, should keep us busy investing in the kingdom and also longing for it. <laughs> I want it, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly, was John's statement at the end of Revelation. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. You know Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse, verse 24. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, he says, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves as the manner of some is, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. So what are we doing at Creekside to encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching? Are we investing in serving and loving and caring for other, other, each other? Are we committed to share the gospel? Are we looking for ways that we can serve those who are our brothers and sisters in Christ? Are we serving and loving and giving to people in our own family? In our community? Are we pretending or are we actually practicing the truths of God's word? So you think about it. Just examine your heart. I ask you to take some time and let the Lord... You know, search your heart. I don't know about me, but do I live each day like, okay, the Lord would not be, I would not be ashamed uh, before the Lord right now. Now, you know, if we're looking at every moment of every day, whew, that's kind of tough. Uh, but if, if, if we're, but if in that moment I'm going, okay, well, the Lord could come back, so I better, you know, buck up here and straighten up. This is the call. And what a better way to realize our need to, get ready to believe in Jesus and to behave like Jesus than to break bread and drink the cup. Because in the bread and the cup, we're reminded of what Jesus did so that all of us could be ready so that anybody who's a, not here and would consciously understand that they deserve judgment but would confess and repent and turn to Christ would become ready, then they could take the elements knowing that they're reminded of what Jesus did to save them from their sins, and enable them to live for, for, for Him. And those of us who know Christ, when we take the bread and the cup, guess what? We're heartened, I think, uh, that Christ loved us so much. And now we can live for Him in anticipation that He will return and ask Him to give us the grace and the strength to do it. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. And thank You for Your love. And I thank You for this reminder from the Lord Jesus to live ready. And I pray for myself, I pray for each of us here who are brothers and sisters in Christ, those online and those here in the sanctuary this morning, I pray that we would be committing ourselves to live ready, faithful obedience. Show us where we're failing. Show us where our priorities are mixed up. Show us where we are failing to love our parents, where we're failing to love our siblings, where we're failing to love our spouses, where we're failing to love our co-workers, where we could serve and honor you and invest ourselves heavily in the kingdom as we anticipate your return. I pray that as we 
take some time to confess our sins and repent before we take these elements, the bread and the cup, that you would reveal sin that we can confess and that we take these elements with joy and gladness, grateful for your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.